Hey, everybody. Welcome to Who's Number One. This is episode, I think, 63 or 64. Now I'm sort of losing track. I am doing this one on the road today. I am going solo, no chase. I'm in Dallas to uh, work Fight to Win. We have Fight to Win tonight, Fight to Win tomorrow, so that's pretty exciting. And joining me today on the show, none other than Gary Tonin. Gary, how you doing, man? What's going on, brother? How are you? All good. I'm excited. You know, events are getting back going and everything. What's, what's new with you? Oh, man, lots of stuff. <laughs> um, kind of like dealing with a lot of problems with my gym right now because uh, my uh, I was subleasing and the landlord uh, defaulted. So now I got to find a new place to, to hole up in our gym. So probably put some stuff in storage for a little while. And then even finding a new place is kind of difficult because it's illegal to do jujitsu where I'm at right now. So, it's, you know, I got to figure that out. You say uh, it's illegal to do jujitsu. Uh, what's it looking like? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Do you know when things are going to be, when you'll be able to do jujitsu? The only light at the end of the tunnel that I see is that other states are kind of opening back up, right? Um, but for our state specifically, our governor's not really uh, very flexible. It's, it doesn't really seem like he just has much interest in, in doing, even making small steps towards opening. So um, I don't know, man. It's really hard to say. I'm sure that, like, you know, just based on the way things are happening uh, in other states, that at some point we're going to start, you know, start heading that direction. But as of right now, in the short term, I don't really see any light at the end of the tunnel. That's one of the hardest things about all this. It's like there's just no, there's no, uh, no telling when it when certain things happen, right? Like there's nobody can put an actual date on it. And when they do try to put a date on it, they just move the date back. So it's like, it's it really puts your brain in a constant state of kind of anxiety. Yeah, that's the worst part, right? It's like. Even if you told me like it was going to be over in January, that's a long time from now, but that'd be better than just not knowing, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about, I mean, it's uh, sort of exciting that we got events coming back this week with Fight Winners. Obviously, there's been some SUG stuff going, but it seems like we have a pretty regular schedule going to happen. There's a bunch of Fight to Wins, there's Third Coast, there's Spider. So what do you think about events coming back already? Man, I'm really excited about it. I mean, I'm excited about any... Uh, any businesses getting to come back and, and uh, start up again, you know, including uh, the ones that are, are part of, you know, the community that I'm a part of, whether it be, you know, martial arts, jiu-jitsu, MMA, or whatever it is. So, you know, I'm super excited to have, uh, have events coming back. Um, I think it's a good thing, um, you know, obviously for us as athletes, you know, we get to, to, to get back to work. And then I would say, you know, for the, for the viewing public, it's nice to be able to just have something to kind of take your mind off of things, you know, for a minute. Uh, which is kind of cool, you know, because as of right now, the only thing that you could watch in terms of sporting events is old sporting events, right? So um, it's way better to be able to watch something that's that's currently going on. And, uh, you know, that gets people excited. It gets people, you know, it gets people going. Yeah, for sure. I would uh, ask your opinions on it, but we're shooting this Friday. It's going to go out Monday, so everything's going to be going to yeah. be done by it. But uh, we got we got some exciting matches this week. Ethan Carlison, your uh, friend and training partners competing. And then uh, what about you think coming up soon? Are we going to see you potentially on any uh, super fight events in the next couple months? Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I'm really excited for Ethan's match. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, this is going <laughs> to, this is going to be <laughs> the match is over. Hopefully uh, I, I'll be, uh, I could be presumptuous and just be like, congratulations, Ethan, uh, you know, on your dominant performance. But uh, yeah, man, I, I'm really, he's got a bright future, that kid. He's really got a, a lot of raw talent, but he's also, you know, uh, been shown to, to make improvements in the gym and, and learn really quickly as well. Um, you know, definitely one of my toughest training partners. Um, and it's always like a, 
what's cool about Ethan too is is uh, I can pretty much guarantee that you're going to have some level of excitement during his matches, similar to mine, where there's just constant movement and he's constantly going. Uh, he's always trying to get to the to the finish, so that's going to be awesome to watch. Um, but anyway, as far as myself is concerned, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm I'm looking to to get moving. You know, just like I said, I want everything to kind of kind of get going again. And it doesn't seem like I'm going to be fighting uh, anytime in the in the near future. You know, we'll see um, what happens with with one and when they are able to get started. But there's no news that I know of um, of anything any events starting up anytime soon. So I. Uh, at looking forward to probably grappling being the next event that anybody sees me be a part of because I like to stay busy. You know, even though MMA is my main thing now, if I can't do that, I'm grappling. Uh, who would you be look like? What are some matches that interest you right now? I mean, so the biggest match that probably interests me right now is from a from an entertainment perspective, from a perspective of somebody that I hadn't competed against. Um, and because it, um, it blends, you know, two different guys that are from mixed martial arts and different organizations is probably Ryan Hall. I'd really like to see, uh, that matchup, uh, sometime in the, in the near future. And I had heard that he had some aspirations of potentially competing in jujitsu again. So that would be really cool. Um, obviously Crone as well. Um, you know, similar situation that people have been dying to see that match for a long time, obviously be a rematch. Um, but you know, it's something that people have been wanting to see for a while. Um, and then, you know, just, I, I could pretty much compete against, uh, t- against anybody. Um, I just, uh, again, I'm usually looking for something a little bit more meaningful to me. So, you know, something new, somebody that I hadn't competed against before is ideal. I do have some, some guys that are, are waiting in line for rematches and stuff and I'm not against doing it. It's just not my preferred option. You know, at some point though, those rematches will kind of always be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, um, it's kind of like how the UFC treats like the Nate and Connor fight. It's like, it's kind of always going to be on the table. Like they could redo that whenever they want. You know what I mean? It's not a necessity uh, at any given point in time. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm open to, uh, to new challenges if, if they're out there. Kron's uh, an interesting one, obviously a uh, great match at ADCC. Uh, and what was that? Twenty thirteen? What was the year that you won it? Was that was that twenty thirteen that you guys fought? Yeah, man. Uh, twenty thirteen, we had uh, we had the match where um, you know basically like went back and forth, um, came within like probably seconds of being able to beat him by points, and then he managed to take my back and, and strangle in the last like couple seconds or so. So super disappointing for me because uh you know uh obviously uh i wanted to win that match and i came you know close i did get submitted so Very close hard yeah. to say hard to say you were close and then you got submitted at the same, <laughs> that kind of a weird a weird thing um but at the same time like you know it was a exciting moment in my career i think a lot of people value his contributions to jiu-jitsu and stuff so it would be it would be great to have that uh to have a victory, uh, you know, against him under my belt for sure. Uh, I know that he's been away from grappling for a bit and probably isn't going to be, isn't going to be doing it, but, uh, I always like to put it out there in case he ever changes his mind. You never know. Cross my fingers. Maybe, maybe he'll get desperate. And, and <laughs> was that ADCC before or after the Lloyd Irvin Kumite thing? Uh, I think it was after. Yeah, it was definitely after okay. because ADCC, yeah. I had, I just got my black belt. Like I got my black belt All right, yeah. or so before ADCC. Uh, I think September 14th was when I got my black belt. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And the Lloyd Irvin thing was brown belt. So it would have been a little bit before that. 
Okay, I thought you were a brown belt in that match. And then the Ryan Hall match would be a really interesting one. What do you what do you think about that matchup stylistically? If you guys grappled each other, um, stylistically, it's int- I think that he would probably he's he's a pretty smart guy. He does a lot of research. I think that he would probably do his absolute best to try to stay out of leg entanglements. I think you'd see a lot of disengaging uh, from leg entanglements and then attempts to like just pass my guard and take my back. Um, I think that's where that's where he would probably try to see a hole. Uh, you know, in my game, because I do allow a lot of people to have access to offensive movements and, you know, guard passes and things like that. So that's how I if I was him, that's how I would be kind of you trying to beat me um, would be, hey, uh, try to stay away from this guy's legs and, and see if I can pass his guard, see if I can get to his back. That's the way that I see it. Um, he is also known for like doing leg locks and things. I don't think I don't think he would meet me, you know, head to head there. I think he's he's well aware of the fact that uh, he's at a point where he's using leg locks against like MMA guys. And I'm using, I had been using them, you know, pretty recently against jujitsu guys. And I'm still in a, in a very competitive room against guys that are using, you know, leg locks at the highest level. So I, I don't think he would challenge me there. What's, what's going on? Uh, there's so much beef and trash talk on Instagram these days. I keep seeing stuff from you and Hanato Canuto about each, each other in comment sections. What's going on there? What's the deal with that? <laughs> Oh man, I mean, I know he really wants the rematch, so I'm not surprised that there's like some shit talk back and forth and this, that, and the other thing. I, I think, uh, you know, that's a money match for him, um, and in, as well, it's like you know uh, a chance to maybe get even or whatever. You know, obviously we're one and one right now, so um, at some point we'll have to have that that third fight, uh, the the trilogy, if you will. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he wants it a lot more than like I have probably, so that pushing pushing and then i think uh i think he like attacked the other day and then gordon like took over and i wasn't even really saying anything i think gordon just started attacking it's it's way easier to just sit back and let gordon do it <laughs> but uh I, I i had a few choice words here and there back and forth as well so we we never really uh we never really were quite happy with each other ever since the first match uh we've we've uh i've never really i haven't really liked him very much since that first match so um that's that's where i would say uh Playful shit talk maybe turns into a little bit more of like actual personal attacks because uh, I, when I feel like I don't actually like somebody, that's it's more uh, there's there's more heat behind it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's nice to have Gordon on your side in these online battles, huh? <laughs> He's tireless. He'll never, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, it's great. It's like having the having the Terminator on your side when it comes to to battling <laughs> trolls. Yeah, sure. We try to back uh, up, you know. Because you know you can't can't uh, can't find everybody talking shit about you in every corner of the internet all by yourself. So send each other screenshots <laughs> of different people talking shit about us and stuff. Keep us up to date. Make sure that we fight all the trolls. So I, I wanted to get into with you a little bit about uh, how you started training. What? How old were you when you started jujitsu? How old? Yeah, uh, I was about like fourteen. Um, 15 when I like officially started doing it like uh, consistently. 14 was when I, I like joined an MMA gym uh, and I was like kind of doing jujitsu a couple times a week or something. Um, I started in like their kids class and then I moved up to their adults pretty quickly after that. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't really consistent training and I didn't keep doing it the whole year. So I really kind of consider when I first started to do jujitsu sometime around 15, like March, March 22nd, uh, 2000. Trying to think, seven maybe, two thousand six. Trying to remember the actual year, but I know the date, like the actual day. 
So that was when I joined Tom's school. And that was when I started taking it super serious, showing up to practice every day, you know, multiple practices and that sort of deal. What uh, brought you in there originally? What made you try out jujitsu? I was wrestling, and uh, you know, my I was my mom was super against contact sports in general, but my cousins wrestled, so uh, she was cool with that. Then my buddy uh, told me about jujitsu, and I like, I didn't even believe that it was a real thing. I just kind of like looked at it like WWF or something because I wasn't exposed to that or UFC or anything. So he's like, "Yeah, we break each other's arms." I'm like, "Yeah, whatever, you weirdo." And uh, he took me to a competition. And uh, I was like, wow, this is actually pretty cool. And then when I, when they, him and his father tried to explain it to my mother and she was just not about it at all. You know, she was always against me doing stuff like that. So um, she's just very afraid that I was going to get hurt. She worked with a kid in a, in a hospital for kids with special needs and they all kind of had like different traumatic brain injuries and things. So she was always afraid of kind of like combat and, and that sort of thing, like, you know, with brain injuries. So uh, not that jujitsu really has that much of a risk, but you know, for, to somebody like that, that's very nervous about it, it, like any amount of risk, like seems, you know, scary. So, uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, once I found Tom's place though, uh, you know, I like I said, I started a little MMA gym, but once I found Tom's place, I was got really into it. Um, interest, my, the interest that I had was, uh, was very high, but I had finally met somebody that was also like incredibly motivating, um, and set a really good example, you know, moving forward for me to follow so that, uh, I like saw hope of jujitsu being more than just like some game that I played, which is kind of the way that I saw all other sports. The other sports that I played were kind of like for fun. And like, if I did well, awesome. But like, it wasn't, I, I still was competitive, but it wasn't, I never looked at like, oh yeah, I'm going to do baseball for the rest of my life. Or I'm going to, you know, be a professional track athlete. Like I just didn't, I had never had aspirations of that, but um, because I saw like my instructor doing it, you know, actively running a school, you know, competing at the highest level. I'm like, oh man, this is really cool. This is something that I could do as a career. This is something that's fulfilling. Um, this is something that could make me happy, you know, and then that it just took off from there. What was uh, so, do you remember your, your, when you, you said you got serious when you went to Tom's, do you remember your first training session at Tom's place? Yeah. Uh, so, so back then he probably still does it. He's got a relatively large school. So it was much smaller back then. But um, he would do like if a, if a new student came in, you'd have a private intro class. So uh, the classes might still be going on like while you have your private or whatever. But uh, you it's just you and one instructor. So Tom took me in and my mom was watching from the side. Right. And she's like super nervous, as we said before. You know, she doesn't doesn't even like the whole thing. So um, every time he would teach me a move, I would do it as hard and as fast as I can because I was used to going to wrestling practices. And that's pretty much what you did. Like they would yeah. teach a move and it'd be like, go, 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 go. And like, you try to drill doubles as fast and as hard as you can, you know, with no real regard for like what you're doing or the technique behind it um, over and over again. And what was praised in wrestling was just hard work. That's literally it. There was no, like you weren't praised for doing the double like correctly. You were just praised for doing it. Like if I did it hard and I slammed the guy on his back, everybody's like, yay, you know, <laughs> But like Tom's like, whoa, 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 dude, slow down. Like, you know, and he had to explain it to me like three or four times for me to really get it through my my head that, you know, I needed to slow down and actually focus on what I was doing. I just kind of like he taught me like a hip toss and I'm like, whoo, like try to slam him down on his back. And he's like, calm down, dude. So that was kind of my first experience. Were you I could see you being sort of like a wild kid, like a class clown type of kid. Is that what you were like? Were you like uh, had a lot of energy? Yeah, I went back and forth. I wouldn't say I was always just just class clown. Like I definitely yeah. enjoyed 
entertaining people. Uh, I did drama like in uh, high school and things. I sang in choir and I was always like an entertainer. That was kind of like a thing that I really enjoyed. Uh, I still like, you know, play a little guitar now and stuff, but um, what was I going to say? So from that perspective, like, yeah, I like to like, you know, to be a center of attention and things, but as far as hyperactivity is concerned, it was like to the max because of the ADHD. Um, you know, so it was just hard in general, regardless of jujitsu, just any like classroom setting for me to just kind of sit still and fully pay attention to kind of what's going on. But it's a little easier in jujitsu because of how into it I actually am. With ADHD, it's weird that you can either be very hyper-focused on one thing and just have tunnel vision, uh, or you could like have no ability to pay attention to whatever that is whatsoever and pay attention to like literally everything else that's going on around you. So, uh, Jiu-jitsu is one of those things where I kind of had like a hyper focus um, and just lost sight of everything else, which is kind of nice in a way. Uh, sometimes I look at ADHD as a blessing and a curse because, you know, if I'm able to just forget about everything else for a second and just focus on one thing, it's kind of nice uh, to, to get distracted and not have to, uh, to worry about all the other problems that I got going on in life, you know? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, when you first started, when you were a kid, did, uh, did it help with the ADHD at all? Like, letting loose in jujitsu and, you know, wearing yourself out a little bit. What was that like? Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. It was nice. I always had to do, I always had to do some sort of sport. I always had to keep moving. I needed an outlet, um, not just for energy, just, but just to stay like regimented, like to just give me free time to just do whatever it was that I wanted to with no structure. Like for a kid with ADHD, even a kid with autism, like a lot of, a lot of these, uh, issues, uh, it's, it's difficult to just be like, okay, go do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm a creative person. Don't get me wrong. Like I do like some relative freedom, but if there's some structure behind it, it's much better suited to me, um, to have a place to go from one place to the next, to the next, to the next, it it just makes life a little bit easier for me. And and I can accomplish goals and tasks that way. The moment I kind of like get off track and I'm not really I don't have that next thing to go to. Like that's when I start to get like more distracted and not get things done. Um, so I was doing all different kinds of sports. Uh, jujitsu finally became that main thing that I, I, I kind of quit everything else for though. Uh, sometime around like junior year, I started kind of giving up on anything else that I was doing and just focused on jujitsu my senior year. Uh, but I did so many different clubs and, and, uh, and stuff like that. So it definitely helped me finally like not just focus from a standpoint of ADHD, but just zero in on something in life to focus on. Like gave me like a focus, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, Is that around when you quit wrestling your junior year then? No, no, I actually quit wrestling freshman year. So, or sorry, sophomore year. So freshman year I did wrestling. And then uh, by the time sophomore year rolled around, um, I was doing jujitsu already. So I don't think I, I decided not to do wrestling. Uh, Either that or I think maybe that I that I stopped wrestling to do something. I'm trying to remember. I just I, I definitely remember. Yeah, yeah. Because it would have been if I had joined in March, it would have been after this or like slightly during the school year. I'm not I don't know. I'm trying to remember, but I'm pretty sure I only did wrestling that freshman year. And then uh, I did like a summer program after that for like wrestling. And then I, I don't think I ever stepped back on the wrestling mat. I pretty much just did uh, jujitsu after that. Yeah, I did the same. When I, I quit after my freshman year, it was like I wrestled my whole youth, and then it was like I was on a club team. And then once it got to like high school, and it was like a part of like being in school and your grades and everything, it was just too serious for me, and I was I was over yeah. it. 
What? Wrestling had a weird culture to it too, uh, like I was telling you before, where I didn't really like a lot of the people that were in it either. Like they kind of like, I felt like they were, a lot of them were going down like not so great of a path. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of like drug abuse and things like that going on and like I, that I wasn't really into. And like I had a couple friends that weren't really, that were kind of against that and it, it was going fine. But it also just kind of like, uh, they kind of let the kids run shit. And there wasn't a lot of like central focus and direction from like a, from a coaching perspective. And it led to like a lot of bullying and a lot of like, it just wasn't an enjoyable experience anymore for me. Um, Jiu-jitsu was what much more structured and like uh, from a learning perspective, like I told you before, where they're not just worried about like drilling hard and, and fast, like they actually worry about like actually getting good at the techniques. And then, uh, you know, and again, this is my own personal experience. It's not to say that there's not some wrestling rooms that aren't excellent like that. Um, but mine weren't, mine was not. And, uh, yeah, man. So I faded out of that for, for more than just the reason that I wanted to do jujitsu. It was also just like, it became an unpleasurable experience for me after a while. And I still love wrestling to this day. It was just that, yeah. that environment, you know, you've, you've definitely retained some of it because like either you retained it or you kept working on it because like, for instance, you hit a throw by against Hanato Canuto at ADCC yeah, and that's a that's a move that the average person, unless you like really wrestled, you wouldn't know. Like everybody knows what a single leg and a double leg is, right? But it's like that's that's like you you've gone deep into wrestling if you if you know what a throw by is off the, off the tie up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, did you yeah. keep working on it as you went into jujitsu? Yeah, I got way better at wrestling as I would continue to do jujitsu. Um, I would say for the first few years, it, it at the very beginning, I always said to myself like. I always kind of treated jujitsu, even though it was a sport for me, even though I had no necessary ambition of doing MMA yet, I kind of said to myself, like, part of the reason I'm doing this is because I want to be able to defend myself in a fight. And the way I looked at it was, if I'm going to be using this jujitsu, if I get into a fight, like, I better be able to take somebody down. If I can't do that, I mean, what's the, if I'm not going to be throwing punches at them to do it, like I got to find some way to do it. So to me, it was just a necessary part of the process. Even if it wasn't necessary to win competitions, I was just like, Hey man, I want to be competent at this. I want to be able to meet somebody head to head and and take them down if I need to. And even for competition, I felt like it was kind of important because you get in those situations, especially back then where what sub only was just not a thing. Like people don't realize that that just literally didn't exist. Maybe you'd have like one weird tournament in like fucking middle of nowhere, Delaware. And, and they'd be like, yeah, it's a sub only tournament. Like nobody did it. Like you wouldn't even, your team wouldn't even show up. Like you'd have to go by yourself. It was nobody was interested in it. Um, So a lot of the tournaments like were decided by like in a minute or two overtime where you'd start on your feet and it was first to points. So like in my eyes, I'm like, all right, well, if I end up tie score with somebody and I don't know how to wrestle, well, that kind of sucks. You know, like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be kind of shot there. So I kind of felt like that was a necessary part of it, too. But as I got better and better, I would um, I, I sought out like privates from uh, like wrestling coaches and things. Uh, I was working with Matt Pletcher for a time. He was captain at uh, Rutgers University for a bit. Um, I uh, John also has ever since we've been having competitive ambitions to do ADCC and things. John has started picking up the wrestling training and things um, because it's much more of a, it takes, plays much more of a role in ADCC. So he, he actually studies quite a bit in judo and wrestling and puts everything together in a jujitsu context really well. Um, so as a team, we, we work on it like all the time. Like I would say right, right now, that's what we're working on, you know, more than anything else. 
Speaking of uh, John, uh, you had told me this a little bit last time you were on when, when you were with Gordon. Uh, talk about how you started going. Uh, you, I think you said Frankie Edgar first brought you to Hendo's in New York, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Frankie was, I forget which fight it was. I can't remember. Um, but he had started doing some jiu-jitsu sessions up at, uh, at Henzo's because I think primarily he was training out of Ricardo's, but I guess he, you know, wanted to get a session in because a lot of the pro MMA and jiu-jitsu guys, well, I guess back then it was probably just pro, pro, uh, MMA because there was no pro jiu-jitsu really. Uh, so sad to say, but yeah, it was pretty much all the pro MMA guys would show up on that day. You know, George St. Pierre would be there a lot and like all these other guys, Weidman and things, just like a lot of other professionals in mixed martial arts showing up to practice. So it was a tough room. You also had John, which was an excellent instructor, you know, so uh, I think that was what drove him to kind of go up there for that day um, was the room more than anything. And then um, I was just excited to get another training session, man. Like I was just hungry. Like I, I, I look at like my training partners now and I just don't think that they really get it. Uh, but spoiled, um, they have like, you know, a, a really great technician, which is John, you know, to le- learn jujitsu from and stuff. But I don't think that they have the same, the same yearning to like, just get in as many training sessions as they possibly can. Like there was a period of time in my life where I would wake up at like 6am. I would get like, do like a, a training session with a few of my students or a few of, a, of my teammates or something. Then at nine, I'd head down to Ricardo's and do a training session there. Then at 11, I'd uh, drive up to Henzo's and get there by 12 to do a training session there. Then from there, I would go back to school and take a college class. After that, go teach at uh, Brunswick and probably train after that. And then maybe coach at Rutgers and train with those guys. So it's literally like just running around like a chicken with my head cut off, finding places to train no matter which day it was. I wanted to get the max number of training sessions in that I possibly could. Um, and I just don't, I don't see that like bloodlust for trying to train as often as possible, uh, with some of my training partners sometimes, which they, they just, again, they just, they, they have a lot, they have a lot of resources now. So I think, uh, it leads to a little bit more lazy, laziness sometimes. Yeah, I can see that. So what was your routine like? Like, uh, John's class is super early, right? It's like seven in the morning or something, right? So that routine didn't start until uh, I met Eddie Cummings. And basically, I wouldn't, didn't start taking morning classes until probably after, maybe a little bit before the, the first ADCC that I did in 2013 or a little bit after. Uh, I started doing like sessions with John like kind of full time. Um, so I would do the morning session, which back then started at eight. I don't know. It rotated a little bit. But yeah, it was, it was at eight, but I had to wake up because I was in Jersey. I had to wake up at like fucking six, five thirty in the morning to beat traffic, to actually get there, to take the class, you know? And, uh, man, that was hell. I'm so glad I live in Secaucus now. And it's like, you know, it's 30 minutes door to door, but. So how long did you train with John going to those classes before? Like you became like one of his guys, like that he was. Like knew who you are and was focused on you as one of his competitors. It was a slow build. John is not like a super easy person to get close to, especially back then. Uh, he had a lot of injuries and things and, and was probably a slightly more unhappy person. I'll put it that way. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it, people just pretty much feared John, not just from a violence perspective, but just from like a, like a coaching perspective. Like, oh man, don't ask this guy a question. He's going to flip out on me. So, uh, I never really talked to John for, for a majority of the time that I was training at Henzo's. Like I would kind of like just sit off to the side and I'd watch him roll. And then like, you know, I'd take class and like, I'd ask a question here and there, but I was very careful about what I asked about. 
um, we really didn't have a personal relationship. Like he would talk to certain guys like after class was over, you know, that he was that I assumed he was close with. But I didn't like try to insert myself in that group. You know what I mean? Like that just wasn't wasn't me. It, it's kind of funny. Like as I started bringing more and more guys to Henzo's, it's funny how they just kind of like sit and start talking to John like he's a normal human being like this now. And like that just never that did. I, I couldn't even conceptualize doing that when I first started training at Henzo's. Um, <laughs> But over time, uh, I became a little bit more comfortable with him. I, I could see that, like, he, would, he took a little bit more of a liking to me. You know, he would say, you know, congratulate me or say good job when I did certain things. And um, I could tell that, like, he kind of, you know, uh, it, he at least didn't hate me. Let's put it that way. So <laughs> at some point in time, George St. Pierre was preparing for Nick Diaz. And John was kind of, like, looking for training partners. And he had seen me in the room a, a lot. And he's like, hey, man, is there any way you could go to Montreal? You have a very similar, um, like, kind of, like, quick style that, you know, Nick Diaz has, like, going for, you know, different submissions. And you're you know, not afraid to take risks and that sort of thing. And I'm like, yeah, great. So uh, I had to, like, rearrange my college schedule so that I could go up to Montreal, like, once a week um, to train with George. And that was like where we first, me and John first, like had real conversations. Like before that, we never really spoke to each other. It was just hello, thank you for class, and that was pretty much it. Um, other than, and then once once I went down there and started doing the training, we had some personal conversations. He got to learn a little bit about me and kind of what I was doing and my aspirations and things. And uh, I would say after that point, we started to get a lot closer. And then uh, pretty soon after that, Eddie Cummings was. I met him, and we started doing morning sessions. So I was literally seeing John like all day, every day, and it became a thing where, um, you know, we became very close. You know, and uh, and he assumed the role as you know my instructor at that point. What was it like training with Saint Pierre back then? Oh, it was always a pleasure to train with George. Um, George is a lot tougher in jujitsu than a lot of people realize. Um, he, he is this very, he's got very good preventative jujitsu. So like he won't put himself in danger. Like he's very cognizant of like when he would be in danger of getting put in an arm lock or a triangle or like leg lock danger. So he's just very good at, uh, stopping danger before it starts. Um, and just dude, even positional danger, like getting swept and things, he just has incredible, like ability to just stay in top position despite you know off balances and sweeps and all different kinds of things that you could do so it, it was always a, an interesting challenge and I always liked training with the MMA guys too because it's a very different feel because um, they're they have a tendency to like try to get up you know from uh, bottom position so it's like a little different than when you're just training jiu-jitsu with somebody they tend to like keep bottom position and try to do something with it um, so it was like a much more high paced style, you know, people trying to get up, you have to keep them down. Um, and I think it benefited my jujitsu overall to train with somebody like that. What do you think was your bit, your, your first big breakthrough as a competitor? You think it was when you started winning EBI stuff? Um, it's hard to say. I, I would say the demarcation for me was the first time that I got laid because of, um, my level of success in jiu-jitsu that's how i know i was starting to make it because that's what's most meaningful to me so when, <laughs> when i would say that was right around the time i did uh i did that lawyer and kumite thing and that was how uh a girl that was interested with me found out about me and was you know contacted me that was the first time somebody contacted me because i did jiu-jitsu you know what i mean because or yeah. not because 
did jujitsu because I did something in jujitsu that they thought was important enough to think that like, like without knowing anything about me, be like, oh man, like that's somebody that I want to sleep with. So as soon as, as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, okay, I'm kind of good at this. <laughs> so I would say somewhere around then, uh, like, you know, I took second place in that to Keenan, uh, in the no gi. And then, uh, Soon after that, I think the the next big thing was probably my match with Crone and ADCC. Even though I didn't win, it just opened up a lot of eyes. Oh, yeah. too. Um, so ironically, even though it was a loss, it was still like a big moment in my career just because of the, well, the way the match meant, went and who I was competing against. And then I, I would there say, was a there was a video of Eddie Bravo talking with Joe Rogan about it too. Where he yes. was like, ah, oh, there's this tough kid, Gary Tonin. Yeah, I think that probably got you a lot of. Oh yeah. Yeah. That things really started to cascade upwards for sure. Or sorry, I don't know if you can even use the word cascade to talk about upwards, but whatever. (laughs) I think that's the opposite of going down, but I think (laughs) it started to to head in an upward direction for me, uh, all after that, that point. And, uh, you know, super thankful for, for the way things turned out because the, the same time I was rising, like as, uh, uh, you know, somebody in jujitsu, the professional jujitsu world, was starting to open up. You know, you started to see things like Metamorris. You started yeah. to see it's like, you know, Polaris started to have a show. All these all these organizations that just didn't exist before where suddenly, you know, professional jiu-jitsu became a thing, right? And then EBI, you know, came along. And all that kind of stuff just started happening the same time I became like a tough black belt, right? And started, uh, you know, having some notoriety and fame. So uh, I, it was really fortuitous to have me be in a position like that because – Man, had I been in the same spot five years prior, you know, it would, I wouldn't even have been, I wouldn't been competing for money at all. I would have just had a school and taught my students and maybe I would just do some IBJJF stuff and that's pretty much it. It would have been completely different. And then I I was able to make a real career out of actually grappling um, because of the way the world changed around the time that I got to my peak, which was really awesome. How many times? I think your Wikipedia says you won EBI five times. I believe that's correct. Uh, I won twice at the 155-pound weight class. I won one time at the 170-pound weight class. One time at – no, wait. Let's see. I think maybe it was twice at 70, twice at – yeah, it was twice at 70, twice at 55, and then one time in the 205 weight class. Uh, And then the other time – the only other time I competed, which I didn't win, was in the uh, absolute – I lost in ride time to Yuri – Samoas, and then uh, Gordon won that one. Yeah, that was sort of Gordon's uh, coming out party. That's when uh, he beat a couple. Who he beat Yuri and somebody else good there, I believe. He beat Rustam, which is was uh, speaking of when professional jiu-jitsu didn't exist. Rustam used to be a, uh, I don't know exactly where he was at, probably New Jersey, New York, somewhere. And Rustam would compete in these absolute divisions uh, with grapplers. You would make like stand a chance to win a thousand dollars. Uh, yeah. after to beat like, you had to beat like eight, like superstars who were like giants, you know, to, to win a thousand dollars in a grapplers quest. And Rustam was like one of those guys that would like compete in those all the time and like win every other one. Um, and then he was, you know, we saw, I got to see him competing in EBI and, uh, he's done really well at ADCC as well. And, uh, yeah, Gordon, uh, Gordon took him out. It's great. Yeah. Rustam used to, uh, all those, I remember I saw him at one in Chicago one time. I, th- I can't remember. I think it was like five grappling or somebody was having a, a cash prize in Chicago and Rustam rolled up and uh, I remember he lost by DQ for neck cranking Dante Leon when he was like a purple belt. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then for uh, the can opener and the closed guard. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and uh, 
Then he got mad at the ref, and it was like he just jumped over the barricade and like walked out of the building with no shoes or no shirt on and didn't come back. I was like, what? The? <laughs> yeah, but, he's uh, in character for sure. But yeah, he was tough. Yeah. He was super tight. Still is tough. Still competes yeah. here. In- he did ACC in 2019. Yeah. Uh, the. Uh, uh, EBI was sort of built around you back then. You were sort of the face of it for a little while. What what were those days like going and competing in those? Well, the first one was – it's so funny, like the way that Eddie promotes things. So Eddie Bravo was talking about this EBI thing. And like I said, you know, professional jiu-jitsu was kind of on its rise. And I I think he got it in his head like, oh, man, you know, I can do this. Like I'm going to – I'm going to have it set up. And he he would say all kinds of crazy stuff. He's like, man, maybe one day – we'll be fighting for like a million dollars, you know? And I'm like, okay, weirdo, like, sure, maybe, like, I guess. But it was just, it was kind of like listening to a car salesman talk about a car or something. It's just like, okay, like, this is clearly all promotion, right? Um, And the first one that we did, he's kind of like, yeah, you know, maybe one day we could fight for a million dollars, but this one, eh, maybe there'll be a cash prize. Maybe it'll be for nothing. I don't know, you know? So (laughs) we go out there to compete, like, with a question mark, like a literal question mark, like, is, are we going to get paid to do this at all? But we didn't care back then because there wasn't really that much shit that you could get paid to do anyway. So it was like, all right, whatever. It's just, just another competition. Um, so, and I knew it was sub only. I always liked that. And that, that almost never existed. So I uh, went out to go compete there. Um, it was a really cool event. Jeff Glover was another big uh, star in that one because he wore like a Wolverine costume and stuff. And he was killing it. <laughs> I think he let the last match with Gio kind of slip through his fingers. Like, I think he had it, and I think he played around a little bit too much. But then again, that's why we love Jeff and, and his style. Um, but, yeah, he ended up losing in the finals. So it was me and me and Gio. I won the 70-pound class, and I guess the other weight class must have been 45, maybe? I don't know. Probably 45. I can't imagine that that was 35 because then they would have had to cut a lot of weight. So probably 45. And uh, – yeah, it was a really it was a cool experience. The first one was in like this like um, it was like a nightclub or something, and uh, you know they did it up nice. The one thing about it was they uh, the stage was very small, like much smaller than any of the other EBI stages, and they had these spotlights that might have been seven feet over our heads. Sorry, sorry, seven feet over the stage. So literally, like right above us are these spotlights, and they're beaming down onto a black uh, matte surface. That wasn't really a math surface because it had logos on it. So it was like a, it was almost like a, if you've ever felt like that, that plastic tape that they put over, uh, like gloves, like, you know, that vinyl kind yeah, of, yeah. it was like that surface. So it had no grooves in it. So as soon as you stepped onto the stage, your foot was sweating and you couldn't make like full contact. So you, you would just slip. Like there was, <laughs> there was no ability to stand. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was crazy. I, I thought for sure we were all going to fall off. Somehow none of us did. Um, but yeah, the progression after that, like after that event, it just started to get bigger and bigger. And, you know, to his credit, it did start to slowly fill the shoes that he thought it was going to fill. Like, you know, uh, the cash prizes started going up. It was $10,000 and it was 20. And then for the absolute, it was 50. And, um, you know, then we kind of settled on 20 as being like the, you know, for the main tournament, that was what it's going to be. It's really unfortunate. It's like one of the worst things that ever happened to, to grappling in my, in my eyes that, that uh, EBI hasn't continued because it was on a roll. Uh, I had heard that it yeah. was getting – I was heard, I had heard that it was getting more views on UFC Fight Pass than like UFC cards were. Um, and it was re- doing really, really well. And I, I just 
I don't know what happened. I don't know if Eddie felt like he couldn't continue to keep up the momentum of it. I don't know if it wasn't worth it to him anymore. I'm not really sure, but I really he went feel to combat. Like, he went to combat jujitsu. Yeah, I, I want to blame combat jujitsu for it, but I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe could. I guess if he could put at jujitsu shows, why couldn't he have put on the EBIs, right? So I think he took something that he had that was a really good thing and tried to change it. And, you know, I guess you could always go back to it, but I really wish that they would do that sometime soon because there, there's like a certain momentum associated with it, man. Imagine if they did like one UFC card and then we had to wait like three years before they did the next one. It loses so much momentum and so much importance. Yeah. Like there's kind of a build because you have yeah. to wait for it longer, but it's it's almost too long. Like it's got to be something that you expect. So at least quarterly, you know, I do an EBI. Like I would say four, four a year, three a year at least would bring it to a point where it could continue to build that momentum and interest. I was getting contacted uh, by people that had never done jujitsu before that were like, oh man, yeah, I watched EBI. That was really cool. You know what you did there. I'm like, where do you train? They're like, they're like, oh, I don't train. Like I just watched. And I'm like, wow, that's like. It's amazing. Yeah, it doesn't really happen. Jiu-jitsu is not that sport. Like MMA, yeah. sure, you get some guys that watch MMA that uh, that don't do MMA, and that's you know, but they probably do something else, you know, boxing or you know, jiu-jitsu or something like that. Um, but there are some some fans that don't do anything. Uh, but in jiu-jitsu, that wasn't a thing. Like basically, you're only a jiu-jitsu fan if you do jiu-jitsu. And EBI was starting to bring out people that you know literally never did it before and just thought it looked cool. They actually were entertained by the sport, which is so so important. When you reach that where you can take somebody who doesn't know anything and entertain them with the sport. Now you've gotten something that's like scalable that you can continue to create and continue to drum up attention for. So it's a shame that it went away. I really hope it comes back. Um, you know, or maybe one day when I am no longer busy with my competitive schedule, I'll have to bring in an organization similar and, uh, you know, bring it back to the jujitsu world. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, Gary tone and invitational. That's it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the, uh, but when when you guys first started having success, you sort of unfairly got labeled as like the leg lock guys, right? I mean, you guys always had great other attacks, but everybody's oh, all they can do is leg lock this and that. Uh, but I mean, there's no mistaking that you guys were uh, far ahead of the competition in leg locks. I mean, people have probably caught up a little bit because everyone's been obsessing over it for years. But back then, what did it feel like for you when you entered a leg entanglement with people? I mean, you seemed like you were just toying with people at first, huh? Oh man, it used to be so, so goddamn easy. I wish it was still the old days. It's just, it's like, it's hard because I wasn't like a, I wasn't as knowledgeable as I am now, but I was, I like, I wish I had what I have now, like back then. And then everybody kind of just stayed that way. Cause it would, it would have just been like easy as, as anything. I, I didn't really have an outside heel hook for a while. I could only really hit people with inverteds. And then eventually I figured that out. But it used to be you used to just be able to pull somebody's leg across your hip and put a heel hook grip in, and like that was it. And now, like, you know, I gotta collect the second leg, I gotta follow them through a roll, and then they're gonna heel slip, and then maybe they'll try the thing like and try to take my back. And you know, there's there's like a lot more counters to it now, and people don't like fear tap like as soon as you get into the position. So, it's uh, the culture around leg locks has completely changed. It, that would be the one way I would say we undeniably changed the entire sport, and you just literally. To try to have a conversation where you suggest that that we were not responsible for that revolution in jujitsu, uh, it seems ridiculous to me. I can't even I couldn't even understand how somebody could take that stand that stance on this because if you look at jujitsu before we came on the competitive scene, there was one or two guys doing leg locks 
And everybody just looked at them like, ah, yeah, like that's their thing. Like it's kind of like a fluke. Like only they get away with it because they're Dean Lister or Paul Harris or whatever. But if you go for it, your jujitsu is going to suck. And, you know, leg locks don't really work at a high level. And this is these are the kind of conversations people had. Now, if you look at the landscape today in competitive jujitsu, certainly without the gi, there's not a single person that doesn't at least train leg locks and like have some basic understanding of what's going on. They have to or they just get crushed. You know, it completely revamped the way that everybody thinks about jujitsu. Yeah, absolutely. Like when you watch Lister, I mean, I, I watched the other day when he won uh, 99 kilograms, I think, and it was like 2011, I want to say. Yeah. And yeah, he, he was just, yeah, he was just pull, pulling the leg across inside yeah. hook on everybody. Uh, <laughs> yes. Adolfo Vieira, all those guys, just, just yeah. super simple. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the, uh, the pursuit that you see nowadays to where you you got somebody on the run and you're chasing them to try and get that leg and then you eventually get it but you might not right yeah yeah way harder nowadays but uh what would you say some of your favorite matches are in your career absolute favorites my match versus paul harris i just think i competed really really well and it was like the toughest match of my career uh the rich the risks were so high uh for that match and there's really something that like didn't have to happen. Like I had to choose to make that happen. Like, um, not a lot of, that's not a match that a lot of people ask for. Um, certainly up until that point, um, you know, basically he broke everybody that he touched for the most part. And occasionally in MMA, he might get knocked out or something, but you know, in jujitsu, he was just breaking people, you know, left and right at the highest level, you know, and, uh, everybody was terrified of him. You didn't see anybody calling out Pajaras for a match. Certainly not somebody that's like 50 pounds lighter than him or more. And uh, there was a lot of risk involved in that match, and I'm, I'm v- very proud of myself to this day for the way that I handled that, the preparation for that, and how well I did. Um, and uh, that was that's probably like one of my favorites. Um, I guess another match that um, another match that I really appreciated being a part of that Crone match, even though I lost. You know, that was very meaningful to me because it was you know the beginning of. You know, me be, knowing that I could hang with the absolute best in the world. It's like, all right, if the match was that close. You know, and I was able to put this guy in bad positions. It's like I'm right on the cusp of like being, the, you know, one of the best in the world right here. You know, or you could even argue that I proved that right there, right then and there that I was. So that was just like a really defining moment for me. And it was an exciting match. Um, i trying to think like other matches that really, really mean something to me. Um, I mean, they all do. But, you know, try, try, uh, the Canudo match was really big deal for me because, again, it was like a, so rematch thing, and there was a lot of bad blood there. Um, so to be able to come back and do so well and be on offense the entire time and just the way that I competed like just made me super proud. I would say not a, a particular match, but both of my my performance at uh, 155 pounds in EBI, uh, I think both of them like it was like a clean sweep where I submitted everybody. Um, both of those performances I was very, very proud of. I think I competed exceptionally well. Um, was like kind of on fire in both of those EBIs. Um, so I was very, very proud of that, those moments as well. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned with Paul Harris, his ability to break people. You didn't mention how his reputation went back then was that he wanted to break people. Right. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> the thing is, it's like, it's not even just that you're going to get submitted. It's like, he may just continue to hold on to the submission yeah. and your leg's going to get broken, even if you tap. So, uh, and like, he chose to do that. Like, Paul Harris doesn't do strangles. Like he doesn't do guillotines and he doesn't do rear naked chokes. If he gets to your back, he tries to break your arm. Like it's not even an option for him. It's he only wants to cause people pain. That's it. Like there is there is no 
it's not like fun jujitsu. You know, this is a dude that's really out there to do damage, which in a way I really respect uh, because you know it really brings you back to the roots of what martial arts are are, are kind of supposed to be about. Uh, be about in the sense that like, hey, I'm going to do a series of techniques that is either going to win me this fight or slowly allow me to win this fight through accruing damage, right? And he he looked at submission holds as that. I think like uh, nowadays, sometimes maybe we look at it a little bit too much as a game, where it's just like, oh yeah, look, I, oh, look, I straightened your arm out. Straightened yeah. your arm out. Well, unless you can break it, who cares? You know what I mean? And now it now it's really it's it, it's meaningful. Um, you know, we get in in situations like EBI where guys start in an armbar round, and we've saw just how difficult it actually is to get somebody to act, you know, to break somebody's arm in in that sort of situation. You know, people can outlast pretty pretty well. It's not an easy thing. So. Um, yeah, man, I was, uh, there was a, there was a lot going on in that, in that match, yeah. a, lot, a lot of fear, man. I was terrified. I really was. I was scared. Yeah. I remember back then, if you would go on like a message board and you'd, you'd see stuff about Paul Harris, about like how he hurts people in training and all, all kinds of stuff. That was yeah. just his reputation. He's not going to let it go. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's playing for keeps. So I have a match of yours from last year that I wanted to pull up and play. This was a great match. From fight to win, this is not the one that you won match of the year for. You had a lot of exciting matches last year. Mm-hmm. This is you versus Davi Ramos. This is you right. versus ADCC champion Davi Ramos. What were you thinking going into this match? This is uh, considering he won one of your ADCC brackets. It had to have been something you're looking forward to, right? Yeah, I was really looking. I've been looking forward to this match for years prior to this because basically, you know, the moment I saw, like, all right, this dude won ADCC, like, that's a target, you know, that's somebody that I want to have a, a match against. But it's another one of those guys we had mentioned previous to this podcast um that like doesn't really go out of his way to compete that often right like you don't see him doing like a bunch of professional events and things like jt doesn't do that either like i love matches a match against him you know because he won adcc you know lepre it's like they don't really go out of their way to compete right so it's just like ibjjf things and and uh adcc so it's it was tough to get a hold of i guess he just decided he wanted to compete for whatever reason i'm not particularly sure why maybe because he wanted a trip to hawaii because this one was in hawaii I was really excited too because um, it was an opportunity to compete in jiu-jitsu against somebody who was now in a competing organization in MMA because there's always yeah. this conversation going around like who's the best jiu-jitsu athlete in MMA right and like this is about as close as I can get to proving it because I can't fight the guys in the other organization but I can grapple them right so um, this is like yo here here's my grappling against one of the best in, in you know MMA right one of the best grapplers in MMA per se. Yeah, what was up with that heart they had on the uh, the jumbotron when you came out, dude? You said there was um, a big red heart. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I. What did I come out to? I came out to a some sub. Was it a Sublime song? I'm trying. I'm really trying to remember. It was very like. Uh, it was very like uh, Hawaii-ish esque. All right, I'll give you. I'll give you. I, I felt like I just can't remember what it actually was. But so yeah. Did- this match is actually longer than a normal fight to win match, correct? Uh, yeah, I think they gave, I think they allowed a little extra time. I had, I knew it was going to be like a tough fight, um, you know, where he was going to you be hard to submit, right? And he's going to, uh, so I, I was like, Seth, like, give me, um, I was like, let's see if we could do like a 15 minute match, like if he agrees to it. And uh, he was like, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, see the fight clock that's up right now for whatever reason is five. Oh, I guess they decided to split it. Into yeah, two I think points. I think I think their clock is probably set for ten minutes, so they uh, probably did a five minute one and a ten minute yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So so anyway, 
Yeah, it was like a 15-minute match. But the truth is, is that it almost was, I think it was probably longer than that because he kept running out of bounds. Like, you don't see it yet because we're just getting some leg-locking exchanges. But he was, like, sprinting out of bounds all the time uh, and then or, or, or rolling out of bounds and then, like, uh, not sprinting, sorry, rolling out of bounds. And then he, like, wouldn't reset. Like, he, as he got more and more tired, he just kind of, like, waited out of bounds and, like, was on his knees, took a couple of deep breaths. But I think every time that he did that, they froze the clock because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't engaging, right? So yeah, uh, I think it probably ended up being even longer than the 15 minutes. So, um, but yeah, man, it was, uh, it was, it was fortunate to have a little extra time too, because it really allowed people to see like, you know, just uh, exactly where I was because I was able to tire him out um, and, and continue uh, to pitch, wear him down, you know? So I forgot about that. Yeah. We're going to get to that later. I, I forgot about, i about that happens in this match, you gas him out. He that was pretty bold. He came out and he went for a heel hook right away, huh? Yeah, no, I mean he's a, he's well, another reason that I really like the match. Uh, an idea of a match with uh, Davi is Davi is like not a he's not like the kind of guy who's just going to try to like play a tough positional jiu-jitsu game on you. Like he's going to try to submit you, you know, which is it makes for an exciting match because he's going to try to attack. I'm going to try to attack. Uh, he's he's been known as a leg locker. Like he was one of the few guys using leg locks pretty like. Not as consistently as Dean Lister and Paul Harris, but if you look back at like some of his old Grapplers Quest matches and stuff, he has some heel hook victories. Um, so he's been doing uh, leg locks for a considerable period of time as well. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I don't think you know. I think at least at first he wasn't afraid of engaging in leg lock situations. He would kind of go for them though, and like not really exchange. He would he would do what I call enter and retreat. So. When you enter into a leg lock, it's not that dangerous, like your your actual entry into the submission. Um, but if you stay in the pocket and you're exchanging, now I give you an opportunity to attack me, then I re-enter, right? You can only really play in the pocket if you're confident in your abilities. He doesn't really play in the pocket too much. He'll go after like an Ashigarami entrance, and then if he's not really getting anything, he disengages, kicks me in the chest, and you know tries to get out of there. So it just got kicked in the face for probably like the third time in the match just right there. Oh, what, were so, the weights? what were the weights like here? He looks a little bigger than you. Yeah, I think that we had to do it at like 185. I mean, I'm, I walk around under 170 most of the time if I'm not eating like absolute trash. Um, so I'm guessing I was 170 pounds here and he was probably, you know, who knows because he had to weigh in. Yeah, you have the ability to weigh in the day before and fight to win. Yeah. So he could have water cut. It's hard to say. You know, he fights in the UFC at, <laughs> he fights in the UFC at 155, right? I think so. So, yeah, so yeah. guys that are 155 in the UFC, the upper limits of what they can cut, I know. I think there's guys that cut from like 200 pounds to make 155. Yeah, yeah. So that would probably be the upper limits of what he might weigh. But I don't think he's 100. I don't think he's 200 pounds here. He's, he looks lighter than that. But I would say he's probably like a good, probably like a good 190, maybe maybe 185. You know, like solid solid fucking muscle. <laughs> yeah, beast. Yeah. I saw you uh, fishing for the Kimura from the top a couple of times. You, I, I went to one of your seminars at Pete the Greeks a few years ago, and you taught that. I still use it to this day, rolling to the Kimura from, uh, against a seated opponent. Yeah, man, it's a great way to get some submission action going off uh, when you're passing the guard. Because, again, I'm not getting any extra credit for trying to pass this guy's guard. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm only getting credit if I submit him. So uh, I'm always looking to find, uh, find ways to try to get that submission action going early, and Kimuras are one good way to do it. If you just kind of fall back for leg locks all the time, it becomes really predictable. So I like to try to attack the upper body and the over, uh, the lower body when I'm trying to pass guard, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, so what? We got about 
11 minutes left then at this point. How physical was Davi? Was he was he uh, pretty strong? Like Very, very physical. It's very explosive when he wants to be. Um, you know, like I said, I wore him down. But any moment he decided to explode, like kicking me in the chest and fucking posting on my head and stuff, it was, you know, it was it was ex- extremely disruptive, very explosive. When he wanted to rip out of like a leg lock or something, it's just very hard to hold on to him. He's constantly like, you know, pushing, mashing my face and, and things like that. So it's something tough to deal with, but it's nothing new to us. You know, if you look at my matches, Gordon's matches and Nikki's matches, like half the match, the guys we compete against just basically deck us in the face, you know, sometimes with full slaps, sometimes with palm strikes, sometimes with up kicks, whatever it is. Like I'd say we get assaulted as a team more than <laughs> any jiu-jitsu competitors get assaulted. Because it's sure. so frustrating for people. They know that they're know they're going to have a tough time beating us with technique. They have to resort to like, you know, dirty tactics and shit like that. So, nice take nice down double. there. Yeah. yeah, nice double. Seth Daniels reffing. There was a couple times where he was uh, passing from the knees, and you sort of like stuck one knee up and like turned your body to the side. It almost looked like you want like in like Connie Basami from the ground into a leg lock or something. Is that what yeah. you were you thinking there? What I get is I get into a heist, heisting position right here. So yeah. actually, I came up to my feet at that point. So what I really liked is to generate momentum from bottom position. So what happens sometimes if you just kind of stay on your butt or your back is I can't – if a guy kind of wants to just keep away from me and post on me, he can, right? Because I'm on my back and my butt. Like there's not really much he's going to that, – that's going to – there's no consequences for that. He can just kind of post away. If I start coming up onto a leg and he decides that he wants to back away, now he opens up his legs and I can start trying to take him down. So what everybody does is as you heist up on one knee is they drive forward. Now when you drive forward, I can lift and elevate you. I can get your legs. I can get your arms. I can get whatever I want. So it's a way for me to, to kind of get your body weight onto me. You know, That's what's uh-huh. going on there. Heisting is hey, – There you go for it again. Yeah. You see that in the Paul Harris fight a lot too. I did a shit ton of heisting. While you were talking about that, he tried to. He tried to he, as, as much as me and Craig, you know, Craig Jones is a bit he like trains with us and stuff now. But I think there's a big differences between my match with Paul Harris and his match with Paul Harris. And I think one of the biggest differences is the amount of heisting that I do to create movement. You know what nice. I mean? So uh, he tried to Lucas Lepper you a minute ago while, uh, while you were talking. He tried. He tried to jump for that, that flying arm lock. Yeah, probably the coolest. Got made probably the coolest submission in the ADCC final oh, ever. Yeah. That was amazing. It was like hard for me to come to grips with at first. I'm like, this has to be planned. I'm like, they had to, <laughs> you know, because it was just like, I've never seen that before. I've seen flying arm locks. I've never seen a flying arm lock when somebody jumps past somebody's guard. That's fucking insane. Triangles, yeah. made, not arm locks. Yeah, I had a little look at the back for a second there, but it's tough, man. It, you know, a lot of people get close to taking my back, but few people actually get an opportunity to do it. I'm pretty good at the def- defense, so. Yeah, your escapes from everything are pretty good. Uh I mean, I watched some stuff. I remember uh, that position. What do people call it? Uh, the octopus or whatever. From like, I, I was watching uh, where you sneak around. Watching how you defended darts like that before. Mm. Uh, yeah, you got a lot of good escapes. Did you develop a lot of this stuff, or is it stuff that you just were interested in learning? Well, if I took it to heart, like a lot of the lessons, I was very young and very impressionable when I started doing jujitsu. So when somebody told me something, I just listened and tried, tried to do it. That's one of the cool things about teaching kids sometimes is like if I tell a 12-year-old, hey, do this, they just do it because yeah. they don't know anything else. So they're like, okay, coach must be right. When you tell a, a, like a full adult, grown adult, especially one with like wrestling experience or something, you know, you, you talk to somebody who's like 23 and you're like, listen, you got to do it this way. 
they're like, well, I feel like when I do it this way, this happens. And it's like, shut the, shut the hell up, dude. Like I've been doing this a long time. I know what I'm talking about, but you know, not that I don't appreciate questions, but you understand what I'm saying. Right. So that yeah. was it. Like I was just told at a young age, like, uh, Hey, um, if you know, one of the best ways for you to move forward is to develop your defense. Like you should be very comfortable in uncomfortable positions. So I made it my, my main is get put in terrible positions and get out all the time. And it helped that I was like 15 years old and very tiny as well. So I was put in a lot of bad positions organically anyway. Um, but I would intentionally put myself in even worse ones. I'd give people triangles. I'd give people arm bars and just to see what I could do. Um, because I really felt like it was so important. I wanted to be like to remove all the anxiety from the situation that I possibly could. It's like, no matter where somebody puts me, I'm going to be okay. No big deal. Right. And we can move on and I can recover from that. When you have that ability, it allows you to maintain hope throughout a match, no matter what happens, you know, cause you know, you could always come back and eventually submit somebody. If you know that you're going to struggle to escape a certain position or a submission, when that submission happens or when that's that uh, position happens, you start to freak out a little bit. You know, some yeah. people tense up, some people tap too early because of it, you know, cause they're afraid and, or they, uh, you know, they just clam up and don't move and don't try to escape. And then they get stuck in that position for the rest of the match. I never wanted that kind of thing to happen. I wanted the confidence to know I could get out of anywhere. Yeah. I me- you, you mentioned teaching kids. I remember when I was used to teach kids, uh, I taught an entire class of like 20 something kids by myself, how to invert to retain guard. And they just picked it up so easy. And I had the whole class doing it. I, I, I was sitting there looking at it and I thought like, man, if I tried to teach the adult class in a couple hours, of this, it would be a nightmare. <laughs> it's like every person would need individual attention. But, uh, yeah. So at this point, like you can see him starting to wear down a little bit when, when you yeah. were snapping him on the feet a little bit ago, you were getting a lot more movement than you were before. He's, uh, he slowed down a little bit. Is this about when you thought that he was starting to guess out? Absolutely, yeah. Any anywhere after this point is is definitely he's he's struggling. I mean, he maintains some some uh, energy in some of the exchanges, but I think like as I go back to the center, like look, I'm back in the center. He's still chilling out of bounds, slowly walking over. Yeah. Now he kneels. It's gonna get worse than that. You know, every single time that it happens, every time we go to bounds, it's gonna get worse. So. When, when, when you start feeling this, are you thinking, all right, now I'm going to put my foot on the gas and, and really uh, I, I mean, it all depends on how much energy I have left, but I felt like I had a shit ton of energy so and how threatened I feel by the other guy. Uh, I didn't really feel threatened by him, uh, and I felt like I had a ton of energy. So, And now here's where I started to switch to the idea of passing a little bit more. I went yeah. back and between passing and going after the legs because uh, I felt like I had been going for submissions too much. So I was just like, all right, like let me just try to pass this guard and then see what he gives me as he tries to defend the guard pass. Because right there, I came into a clean underhook, almost past his guard, and then he gave me his legs right away. Yeah, that, you're shifting over that uh, that knee slide to the left really nice, a couple times already. Yeah. So at this point, though, he's probably going to want to stay here on his knees and keep it here, right? Yeah, he's going to try, try to post away. Gonna try, you see how he just stands back up, tries to keep distance as much as he can. Now I'm going to heist up. He doesn't really have a choice. He has to engage at least in some level. And then here's exactly what we're talking about. It's like... It's like, well, there I decided to pull myself underneath. But you end up in situations like that in a grappling match. And, like, I got to be able to, to dominate. Like, and then, uh, yeah, I was hoping I was going to get something there. I haven't seen this match in a while. But, yeah, like, look, he's, like, dead out of bounds right now. Like, yeah, what's that's helping him up. That's literally trying to, to yank him over back to the middle. Um, and I get it. I mean, it's, it's tough to deal with me. I, I hear you. Yeah. You know, I have empathy. But, um, 
But yeah, man, like this gives me the ability, like the fact that I have these. Look at you, look at you right here, though. When he took the break and you sit there with your hand on your face, you look so annoyed. When uh, <laughs> this gives me the ability, like the confidence on the feet to to be able to pursue him instead of having him be able to back up on his knees, I'm able to just stand up and go, okay, all right, you want to stay on your knees? We're going to stand back up. I'm going to go for a double leg. You know, so it allows me to be dynamic. If I can't get the match to move while I'm in seated guard, fuck seated guard. I'm going to get up. You know, if you don't have wrestling, you can't do that. You got to stay in seated guard. I got to scoot around and chase people, try to reach after their legs. Like I'm not going to spend all day doing that. I'm not going to wait for you to come to me. I'm coming to you. We got going here. All right. Three minutes. Oh, that's a long three minutes. If you've been this tired already for a couple minutes, three minutes is a long time left. Yep, yep. Good old Seth Daniels back when he was still reffing before AJ and Ari took him off the stage. <laughs> a little strut back to the middle there. <laughs> Yeah, faking, snapping, more, more action more, again. Uh, yeah. Froze a little bit. Another leg entanglement. I mean, you guys got to be pretty greasy right now. Here you go. Knee sliding in the left again. Uh, yeah. Only a couple minutes left. Let's see how long it takes to get back. Oh, yeah. He's just taking a break now. Yep, full break. How do you like the fight to win rules where it's like uh, ref decision? That submission only with the ref's decision. It's not bad, man. You know, um, I have I've mixed feelings about whether or not I like that more than an EBI format. Um, yeah. In some ways, a decision's better. Because, uh, you know, if you really decide based on the content of the match who won, because sometimes theoretically, if you go to an EBI overtime, if I'm much better at controlling you on the back than you are at defending, then I win the match, even though maybe our match was way less, was lay, way less competitive. Like maybe I didn't submit you, but like I clearly they dominated you in the actual match. Um, and then we get to overtime and then you might be, you know, you know what I mean? So that leaves a little bit up in the air, but at the same time, it just, it's just a different skill. Like it's, it's a, a jujitsu skill that's deciding the winner of the match. So that's kind of cool. Um, but the, the ref's decision has its own advantages. Like I said, you know, hopefully if they're good referees, <laughs> they look at the context of the actual match and then they make a decision. Yeah. And, uh, and that's not bad. The only thing that comes into play there with ref's decisions to finally get an opportunity to back here. The only thing that comes into play with uh, ref's decisions is just like, again, whether or not it's like they're good. You know, at making the decision. But at the same time, like, remember that match we were talking about with Paul Harris? Um, dude, I have that's in the books as a draw, even though I dominated in that match because that particular organization at the time, Polaris, decided that they were no longer going to have decisions. They were only going to oh. do you submitted somebody, you won. And if you didn't, it was a draw, right? So that's the worst. That's a metamorphosis did that too, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's the worst. Yeah. So it's, Nobody wants to see and, – and what happened, this is what made them change that. They probably would have continued for at least another event is that event nobody submitted anybody. Not a, so everybody on the card was a draw, and that's never a good look. So they were like, yeah. oh, shit, we got to change this. We got to do something. So they have like – they suddenly had a judge's criteria, you know. 
I got in the back here. I'm surprised. I remember there was a few people in our comment section after this match uh, saying that, like, this was biased and that Davi beat you and stuff. I don't know how anybody could think that. Like, for the last six minutes, I mean, you were clearly in control of this, of this thing. Like, we're, to the point where he was taking 30 seconds at every break. Yeah. There you go. You got the back now. Oh, I remember you were close to the finish near the yeah, end, right? Yeah, literally, at the, by the end, I have a full rear naked locked in. That would have finished for sure, but just time didn't allow it. The same thing happened to me in a fight to win match with uh, Justin Rader. Uh, great match, real good, good competitive match. And then I had her arm around his neck literally in the last 10 seconds, and, and I couldn't get the finish because the time ran out. Oh, yeah. That's dead to rights right there. Oh, yeah, 100%, but the match is over. I'm like, no, I'm like, I, I, I'm excited because I won, but I'm like pissed because I didn't get the submission, you know? It always looks better when, you know, you have a submission in the books instead of just a win on the, uh, by decision, you know? For sure. Are you like that, like Gordon, where, I mean, Gordon is pretty vocal that he doesn't like to win if it's not by submission. Does it disappoint you if you don't get the sub? Absolutely, man. You know, because that's what we're looking for. It's it's like that Paul Harris mentality that I was saying before is like submissions are the only thing that, that do damage in our martial art, really. So, you know, if I'm not, if not, I'm not submitting you, then... It's not, I don't feel like the same as if I, if I did. So for sure. All right. So, uh, up next we have a, uh, we got a routine. I don't, you've probably been on. Yeah. You've been on when we do this before where we have a guest from the time before ask a question for whoever's on the next time. Okay. Uh, I wasn't actually on the, sh- the show last time I was driving to Dallas. This is Reed and, uh, chase with Lucas, okay. Hulk, Lucas Hulk Barboza. Uh, he's got a question for you. Oh so man! Play that thing. It's going to be uh, Gary Tonin. So if you have any question that you'd like to ask him, it can be about jujitsu, it could be about his diet, his life, anything, MMA, maybe. You know, I what might come to mind asked. for you? What, what do you want to know about Gary Tonin? What about? Let me see. Man, um, I feel that I don't know. What was it? Was it put in a? What does he think on every time he fights? Because he always put on a show, so uh, is like that way that he does. Like the style, he thinks about that before. Like, um, um, like if he changes his mind, like if it's a tournament with po- uh, like if it's a tournament with points, or if a super fight that uh, have to entertain, like like what is different? He always like the same on the every 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 situations or what you know like what I'm saying how does he approach the match D- different matches different yeah, situations yeah like how he's approached his match uh, um uh IBJF or super fight because yeah. I was put on a show you know you so alright I, I, I had the same feeling as you I thought he was going to talk shit or something for sure when I when no, I, no. I, <laughs> I, thought, I I thought he was going to mention something much more personal that like, <laughs> inside joke but Anyway, uh, oh, okay. yeah, he uh, that was nice of him uh, to, to word the question like that. So, uh, man, I, I change the way that I compete based on the competition for sure. I mean, like, if I'm going to go compete sub only comparative to competing in ADCC, like, we definitely, we definitely adjust, like, the way that we're competing. We do full camps for these things and, you know, try to incorporate, um, you know, the rules into what we're doing and, and how we're training. So uh, 100% my mentality is a little different. There's been times where I didn't give a shit. And I was just like, eh, I'm just going to try to submit this guy. I really don't care what happens with points. I remember one time I competed in Kasai and I had the, 
Uh, I had, uh, well, it was when I lost to Canuto and, uh, I knew I wasn't going to win the tournament. So I just didn't care anymore. And I was like, when I competed against Gianni, like I literally just tried to break his legs from every position. And, uh, <laughs> I played no, paid no mind to that. I could have easily got like swept him in certain points and I just paid no mind to it. I was just like, whatever, I'm going to try to break him. And if I, if I submit him, I submit him. If I don't, then I lose the match. I don't really care. Um, I remember there's another time, uh, last, not last ADCC, but the one before that, when I fought Wagner Hosha where um, I just dropped everything and was just like, I told my coaches, I was just like, listen, guys, I was like, I may lose 30 to zero or submit the guy this one. I'm not really sure, but I'm going out there and I'm, I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to compete the way that I want to compete. Because that, that uh, ADCC, we had prepped so hard, you know, for the rules and everything. And it's just, it very much conflicts sometimes ADCC style with the way that I actually want to grapple. It's great when there's no points, you know, the no points time is very conducive to my style, but like, you know, once they turn the points on and there's like five minutes of points and, you know, I got to pay attention to like not guard pulling and doing certain, it, it restricts me and I really don't like to be restricted. So, um, when I got to that match with Wagner, I was just like, I don't care. I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm not really going to pay much attention to the points. So sometimes I'm smart and I do change the way that I grapple because of the rules. And sometimes I'm, I'm stupid and then I just have fun and I do what I want to do. But, um, yeah, man. Um, overall, my mentality gravitates towards like I just want to submit the guy and put on a show. And uh, that's that's what I do most of the time. But I definitely change the way that I compete for points tournaments. All right. And uh, yeah, great answer. That, that leads to I uh, got to get a question for next guest. Uh, I got a couple of people coming on. One's an old friend of mine from Chicago. I mentioned I went to your seminar at his school. So I have uh, Pete the Greek and Jeff Glover are our, are our guests on the next show. So if you could if you can think of, uh, these are guys, you know, pretty well, if you can think of something to ask those guys. Oh man, it's a good question. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I know love lover pretty well. And, and Pete, uh, you know, like you said, I went to and did a seminar at his place and, you know, I've, I've had a lot of encounters with those guys. They're both super supportive. I really look up to, uh, I really look up to Jeff a lot, um, because, uh, I really think he was a pioneer of the idea that number one, jiu-jitsu could be and should be entertaining and number two that you didn't have to be like some square zen monk if you competed in jiu-jitsu or you ran a jiu-jitsu school or whatever the case may be like you could be like a real person like who's funny makes jokes and like you know doesn't doesn't says some inappropriate shit every once in a while um and i really think he was he was one of the guys that kind of opened the doors to allow allow that type of personality, you know, in the sport. And it's, it's so freeing. It's kind of like what I was talking about before with the restriction. Uh, like I don't like to be restricted. I like to like to use creativity. I like to, you know, kind of just be who I am. Um, I would say, I would say to Jeff, I guess the, the question that I would word is, or how I would word the question for him would be like, what was it that drove you to do that? Was it just your, was it just the way that you are and, and you just let it shine through or was it, um, was it something else? Like, was it somebody that was around you that you felt like also showed you that, that set an example for you to be like, Oh, I can be like a normal person. What made you not become, you know, the Zen monk who, you know, only eats kale, kale salads and, and, and things and is on the Gracie diet and is all about just respect and discipline. And then just talks about all those things and no real stuff, you know? Um, that's what I know. like. How, how did the, how did we get the Glover that we know today? You know, I think a lot of it's probably his personality, but I want to hear like kind of how that developed in in the sport. You know, 
like what is let me i guess like to, to narrow that question down to would be like like what were his influences when he was coming up through jiu-jitsu like who influenced him most both in personality and his style of jiu-jitsu that's probably a better way to word the question this way you don't have to play a 30 minute long clip whenever you know he gets interviewed <laughs> for sure for sure all right uh thank you very much i am uh we're about 15 minutes short of when we normally cut this, but I got to get over to fight the win weigh-ins today. And uh, they're doing the – they did weigh-ins yesterday. They got more weigh-ins today for the uh, the Saturday event. So I'm going to get over there, shoot those weigh-ins, uh, and then uh, shoot this event. So I'm, I'm very excited for it. Thank you very much, Gary. Rock on. No problem. Have a good one. Thank you. Right. Thanks.